Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The Province Force Podcast. Welcome to the White Towel Podcast, where we talk all things Canucks every week. You can go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, download, listen every week. Watch our panel videos too, please. We ask nicely. I'm Paul Chapman, joined by Patrick Johnson here, our, one of our beat writers at the Vancouver Sun and Province. Patrick, yet another controversy, if we can call it that, filled week at uh, in, in Canuckland yeah. with um, Goalie Gate, Benning Gate, Green Gate. Discussion filled. Yeah, Is Mikey Gate. What do we call it? Merrick Gate. I'm refusing to call him Mikey. By the way, I write Mike. That is in Somebody his. Somebody me. It's his Twitter handle, Mikey Tender. That's up to him. Yeah, that is up to him. I'm I'm an adult, and he's an adult. But what's up to you? I'm not an adult. Well, he's a teen. I suppose. Uh, I guess I'm a senior adult. Um, it, so let's break this down. Um, why should people be concerned at the way the events in the crease unfolded this week? For them? I think it's the process issue, and this is something I do come back to. It's it's yeah. You know, they, I guess, I suppose they're okay now, but yeah, they lost, you know, they, they lost Richard Bachman in the beginning of December and you would think that you're okay, we're going to have to solve this problem. And, you know, if they maybe solve the problem, then are they having to give away a draft pick and people, people go, well, it's just a seventh round draft pick. I'm like, the odds of success with a seventh round draft pick are basically the same as a third round draft pick. And people would say, well, you don't find players. I'm like, that's not the point. You can. And there's a lot of teams that have done well at it. And we know Vancouver's had a terrible history of that. Um, and, you know, if Jim Benning's supposedly the super scout, don't you want to give him as many picks as possible to use? So th- that's the issue is that they had to, they, they had a problem. They had an injury going, you know, three months ago. They, they didn't deal with it then. They sort of had a solution when they traded, for Mike McKenna, they lost Mike McKenna, and then they couldn't really find anything else. And they could have signed a player out of the AHL uh, and, and just parked him in Utica and said, "Okay, he's our third string guy, and he's going to back up whoever." And you know what? If they'd had to bring up Mike DiPetro at that point, then you know that's what's how it goes. The, what was the right? You've talked to Jim Benning. What was the rationale for not doing that? For not signing an AHL guy? I and think, having him down there? Well, it wasn't clear to me, to be perfectly honest. I asked him. I said, "Why not sign one of these guys?" He essentially went, well, who? And I sort of said, well, there's a few guys that I've, you know, I mentioned a couple names. And he said, listen, you know, he he just wasn't, he wasn't really going to entertain. They the rolled idea. the dice. He they rolled the dice, and he wasn't, he wasn't. I mean, essentially, he wasn't willing to, he wasn't willing to entertain the question. So I'm still kind of at a loss why that was. Um, but you know, one thing he did tell me was that when they lost McKenna, they came up with a list: who are some guys that we'd like to go after, and. 
as he told me, he said all the other ones he asked about, the other the other teams wanted second or third round picks. Dealing from a position of weakness. <laughs> right? It's pretty classic, isn't but it? But that's the point. And so if they hadn't, you know, like I said, if they had dealt with this even before the McKenna problem, you can never have too many goalies. I mean, part of the reason why they were able to benefit from the Rangers, if you can call it benefit, and get Mazanich, I haven't even learned how to say his name, was because they've got too many goalies. They had two prospects playing in the ECHL, and they wanted to bring one up and uh, play him in in the American Hockey League and let him have a run of starts in the American Hockey League. And so they said, okay, great, we can give this guy up. Give us a seventh-round pick. And that was essentially the lowest price for one of the goalies on this list that that he had asked his staff and he'd asked Dan Cluchini and Clark to give him. Uh, and that's where they want. That's where they went. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's entirely possible that, you know, for instance, the five other names that were suggested to me, Kevin Woodley, I asked Kevin Woodley, I said, give me five names. And he gave me five names of guys that he knew. And I looked it up. He was right. These were all guys that were playing in the American Hockey League who had played NHL games in the past, but were not on NHL contracts. So guys, you could have signed yesterday and had them sit on the bench. And yeah, you would have had to put them on waivers, but nobody's going to sign, pick those guys up on waivers. Um, let me ask you this. I, I feel I follow the NHL pretty close but maybe I don't follow other teams deeply enough. Why does this team have such drama around their goaltenders? I mean, this goes back certainly to Luongo, but this, it seems to be this thing, you know, you just said you can't, can never have too many goalies. I know there's a balance. If you have young prospects who feel that they're coming of age and want to play in the NHL and they're buried in the minors, that's going to be difficult. But there are journeymen around to get this balance of, here's my number one guy, I got a solid number two guy, and I got a prospect in the system. The Canucks never seem to have that balance right. Is Does this happen on other teams? Or is there something about this team where they've just mismanaged goalies for the last decade? Uh, I mean, they've had success at the top end. I mean, we shouldn't no, forget that, No, that's what I mean. Right? It's the depth. Yeah. They've had good goalies. It's the it's the uh, second and third layer yeah. and balancing that journeyman prospect thing. Well, I mean, I would say that the, this... This, you know, I mean, it's part of the discussion about how Utica was built this year is that, you know, they went with a rather veteran-laden group. They do have some young players. Some of those young players haven't played a lot. They've argued that saying essentially these guys aren't ready and they need to adapt to the professional game. And I find that interesting. I think there's there's something to be dug into there because I sit there and go, well, I mean, maybe there's nothing to be done because of the way you have to send junior players back. But maybe it's also an issue of are they prepping them even before they come enough, well enough? I don't know. These are questions I have. But when we come to the goalies, you know, they they had they've had it. They had a succession plan. They had Demko. I mean, if you think about it, at the beginning of the year, they had four goal. They actually had five goalies. I mean, um, Ivan Kublikov has been carrying the load in Utica. He was signed by the Comets. I mean, he's in the Canucks organization. Signed by the Comets to be the number three guy for Utica essentially number five in the organization. Um, and he, you know, they had five goalies. They, they had things laid out. I mean, I think this, this we don't, you know, this whole discussion this week doesn't happen, like I said, if they just gone and found Richard Bachman's replacement right away. I mean, they, they still could have made the McKenna trade. Nothing's going to stop them from doing that. Um, but, but there were, there are, there were just other ways to solve the problem. Like I said, you could have found yourself an AHL goalie and, and put him on an NHL contract. And you know what? Maybe you lose him. Maybe you don't. I don't think you lose him because those guys don't have contracts in the first place. The other thing I will say at the same time about, for instance, McKenna, because you talked about sort of having guys that are willing to do the job. I mean, that was part of the appeal of McKenna. I mean, he told me. You can go back and look at the story I wrote in, in January. He told me, he said, listen, I get it. He said, I'm not going to lie. I wish I'd, you know, set the world on fire 10 years ago and had was finding myself at the end of a long, successful NHL career. He's like, 
didn't happen. I've had a good career though. I've had fun. I enjoy it. I get what my position is. I get where I'm at. You know, you get, you hear that. I mean, that's part of the reason why they have Alex Biega kicking around. He gets what he's, his job is. Um, those guys are, I don't think they're hard to find. And there's a number of those guys. So that's my point is that I don't think I don't, it didn't have to come to this. You know, the sort of, we didn't even have this sort of mini crisis, mini controversy that we've had this weekend. So. I was going to say through the through the magic of multimedia, I know the answer to this, but multimedia of the yes, social media, multimedia. Okay. So through the is that uh, like is that like the white towel panel videos? Yes, it is. Okay. So this is why I'm going to ask something I know the answer to, but okay. I do want you to explain for our listeners. Um, should people be concerned at any damage to that being the NHL debut of Rick DiPietro? I don't think so. Or Mike DiPietro. Mike, there we go. Rick DiPietro. The uh, he's still on the payroll. They should have traded for him, Patrick. That yeah, would have been yeah. a solution. Um, yeah, Rick DiPietro. No, Mike. Di- no, Mike DiPietro is going to be fine. Um, you know, I mean, I think I think the thing that the positive takeaway is that he's now seen NHL shooters and he knows what he has to work on. And you know, we saw a guy that was scrambling, that was trying to keep up. Uh, you know, just the way the rebounds fell, they fell in ways that you're not used to seeing, uh, because he was having to deal with the fact these were the best shooters in the world. Um, yeah, a couple goals weren't his fault, sure. Uh, you know, a couple goals were because the defending was horrendous. But in the end, you know, I mean, he was a he was a 19 year old playing against one of the one of the best. Let's be honest, San Jose Sharks are a a Stanley Cup contender that makes them one of the best teams in the world. He's going to be fine. He came out of this. He was, you know, he's an upbeat, positive guy. You know, he's dealt with a lot of adversity in his life. I don't know if people realize, but his mom died when he was five. And, you know, he and his dad have been to, you know, have been through a lot. And uh, he's a kid that everyone sees how upbeat he is. Even, you know, after the game, you can tell he was emotional. Like he was emotional. He kept kept together. I didn't think he was going to lose it, but you could tell there was, it was sort of, there were there were some you know there was some some sort of an emotional sadness ready to burst out and he kept it under control because he's talking to all of us. There's a swarm of us. There's more cameras than you know he. I mean, I guess he saw a lot of cameras at World Juniors, but you know more cameras than he's used to in his regular, you know, regular day to day hockey life. He's gonna be fine. So you know, I'll, I'll anyone who has watched our panel videos, I'm not, I will boldface steal what I the line I use there, but yeah. it leads us to our next segment of this. He may have seen NHL shooters, but when will he see an NHL defense? Right. That was the other part yeah. of of Monday night is that it highlighted that there's not a lot of help for no. goaltenders on the blue line. You know, and I asked Travis Green on on uh, Monday morning after the morning skate, and essentially said, you know. You know, you're running out 10 of still on the left. Fair enough. Um, but, you know, you have Guillaume Brisebois sitting here. You've had him up for a week. You know, you, you talk about wanting to see what guys can do because they were putting Zach McEwen right in the lineup, basically. And I said, you know, what have you seen from him? You know, they had a practice on Sunday. He hasn't had a whole lot of practice time. Um, and And Green said, listen, I need, you know, he's... He said he's not ready. I mean, he basically said that. If he were ready, he would have put him in the lineup. And because well, know, what's he waiting for then? Why is he here? I don't know. I th- they need an extra defenseman. They need a body. You know, they don't have. It's not like they have some some sort of grizzled veteran. I mean, they could call up Luke Shen uh, from from Utica, but other than Shen, it's not like they have a, a grizzled veteran sitting around who's you know willing to sort of sit uh, sit in the press box and watch the games. Uh, I, yeah, it's, uh, to be honest, I mean, we've seen, I mean, Derek Pouliot scored a nice goal, but like Derek Pouliot's, you know, tr- struggles defensively are well documented. 
so, you know, we're at the point where it's kind of like, you know, I mean, it, the, it's counterbalanced by what Travis, Travis Green also said, which was that trying to address the best defense I have available. And in his judgment, I mean, that, that to me also spoke a lot about what he thinks of the young kid. He said, I, I don't think he's ready. I'm not ready to throw him in. I mean, he's been playing AHL hockey all season. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I do, it'll, I think it's a different question if it were, if it were Ashton Sautner, who just came back to, came back to health, uh, last week, uh, in, in Utica. I think we could see him up because he played five games last year. And, and, you know, I think they do think reasonably highly of him. I mean, he had, does play with an edge and, uh, you know, and he, he brings an element, you know, he does bring a physical element to, that they don't have a whole ton of on that blue line. And, and, you know, if you want, if you're looking to change the mix anyway, uh, he might be the kind of guy that you could bring up. What's the bigger um, point of criticism for the front office for you? Is it the goalie mess that happened or the state of the blue line? Um, it, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good question. I, I, I do Thank think, you. I do think the goalie question, to me, the goalie question, it, it, it really has been a strange one to follow. And I've said it several times that it was just, you know, you're kind of like, I can't believe they've been trying to walk this. I call it the knife's edge. And, you know, I said flying too close to the sun, you know, take your various analogies. They're all, they all apply. I, I, I've been, it's been strange to me to kind of witness it all happen. Because like I said, they started the year with five goalies. Like they started prepped. And that was why you have five goalies. And then all of a sudden they were down to three. And then they were down to two. And they didn't seem too fussed about it. I mean, I guess I should say they were down to four and then down to three. Because if we're going to count Kublikov in the first set of five. I hear that Transylvanian chuckling going yeah. on in the background yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If we had higher production Belarus, values, we'd be by the dropping way, he's the Bel- He's Belarusian, not Russian. Anyway. But no, it, it, to me, that's just been such a strange one because they didn't have to come to this point. I mean, if they're looking for a guy just to sit on the bench who's essentially an AHL goalie, well, they've got that in Merrick Mazanich. And they didn't necessarily have to trade for that guy. Um but Jim, but, Benny, but Jim Benny said, okay, well, he's on the list. So you talk about the defense. Well, the defense, yeah, I mean, what I, I guess my question is, you know, yeah, they should look where they've gotten themselves to. Yeah, they could have, were they real? Do you, do you really want them to go out and sign somebody? No, so, so, so this, this is my point. I mean, so, I, so you're not. They've created the problem themselves. They have, but that's. But it. I don't know how they dig out of it at this so point. So the fuss was like, oh my God, what terrible asset management over yeah. the goalie situation. But as you pointed out, you're not worried about Di Pietro's long-term psyche being damaged by this. They probably weren't going to win that game anyway. And then we can debate whether the playoffs are valuable or whether that's going to. But a couple of things stick out to me then. Is it not the state of the defense, but also have you been, you say flying too close to the sun. Have they been overworking Jacob Markstrom? Well, that was a suggestion Jim Benning himself had. He said, listen, he was fatigued. He played a lot of hockey. And I mean, I think that is, you know, let's be honest. I think that's why Mike McKenna was so appealing because they knew this is a guy, you know, listen, he's not been a super, you know, he's not been a a regular initial goalie, but he's done okay at times in a pinch. We think he's reliable. Um, and, and that was the appeal. You know, he would have been a guy that, you know, had they had him sitting as the backup as opposed to Mike DiPietro. Yeah. I think you're seeing Mike McKenna start last week against. The Washington Capitals, for instance, as opposed to Markstrom having to go back to back and then having to, you know, or playing in Chicago or playing against Calgary at home or playing, you know, last night against, or sorry, Monday night against, uh, against, against San Jose. I, I think they would have been more confident with him. And then as a, as a result, they wouldn't have been wearing so heavy on Markstrom. I mean, Markstrom has had a great season and, uh, but part of it, I think, is because they've been able to manage it well. And I think part of it, too, is they haven't played a lot of back-to-back. So he's been able to play generally rested. 
And uh, yeah, I, I think to me that is that's the thing is that now you have this goalie who's worked out and now you're potentially overworking him and you're giving, he's got back spasms as we found out yesterday, thanks to, you know, John Shannon's either slip of the tongue or intentional accidentally on purpose revelation on, on, on Sportsnet 650, which happens to have the rights to, I mean, I appear there sometimes as well. I'll be honest, but yeah, let's be fair. They, they do have the rights in Sportsnet's a rights holder. John Shannon seems to get a lot of these quote unquote scoops. Fair trade, as should we say. Yeah. Anyway, but no, I, I, I think I just remember before they had the rights, John Shannon told us Luongo was a done deal to Toronto. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Well, he was a done deal. Far be it for me to cast the first yeah. stone. Well, but done deal, I suppose, requires the consent of the player. So, how do you see the goalie situation playing out the rest of the season? I think. Well, I mean, they, you know, I mean, Demko, if all goes well, I mean, Demko's been around the team, so we know that he's. It's, it was a minor. It was as sort of as minor as these things come. He is, of course, a goalie. Knee sprains are never a good thing for a goalie. Uh, it sounds like he's going to be back you know, by next week. That, that's the other thing that's kind of strange about all this is that, you know, Benning himself said, uh, well, we only, we really needed to cover off the next three games. And so, you know, so that's why they were, that's why they were in a pinch. And everyone, I mean, that's the thing, everyone knew it. So that's why they had to pay this price. And like I said, if they had just gone and found a guy, there are guys, I, from my outside perspective, that are pretty comparable, that they could have gotten for free. And... For whatever reason, they didn't want to do that. So, um, I mean, I think they were, I do think they were waiting for Mike, for McKenna to go back on waivers. And I think the Flyers knew that. Um, and McKenna was supposed to finish his, or he finished his conditioning stint on Tuesday. And then under basically the terms of the CBA, the Flyers then sent Brian Elliott, Brian Elliott out on a conditioning stint with it, which basically is the fact that he's been out injured and they can send him without his consent for like six days. And if, you know, next week, maybe McKenna ends up on waivers. Maybe they claim him. Benning said to me, you know, oh, we could still sign late. And I was just like, okay. Now you're collecting them. I don't, yeah. Anyway, I, the, the, the whole process was just, it was just strange. Yeah. And, um, you know, they, the, the way they went about it, you know, they, you know, Mazanik is, sure, he's 10 years younger than, than Michael Layton. I mean, that's an argument, I suppose, but he's an AHL goaltender. He's, he's not actually having that great of a year. Um, he's contracts up at the end of the year, which helps because they're yeah, going to make a long-term commitment. Yeah. They don't make a long-term commitment, but you know, I mean, at the end, like I said, you, you'd rather have more lottery tickets than fewer. And now they're back to their normal allotment. And the, essentially that trade, you know, basically they've just traded Delzato for, cause it was the pick they got. Well, yeah. no, they've traded actually their own pick, but they still have a second, seventh round pick that they got for Delzato. So essentially they've traded Delzato for a goalie, which if you, if you had said that was what they were going to do, I think maybe you, you wouldn't be so upset about it. It's just a weird process. Yeah. That's, that's the biggest thing for me. So if there's another injustice off that, and I want to get off the goalies for a second, but, um, overshadowed Zach McEwen. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which is a you know, uh, yeah, he got an assist. Great and story. Else. It's yeah. a great story that he people have been calling for their yeah. his uh, his audition here for a while. Yeah. Initial thoughts on on how you think he did and and what you think the rest of the season holds for him. And, you know, I mean, worth mentioning. You know, there are a lot of times we do cr- criticize you know the Canucks manager Jim Benning fairly often, but I think this is one where you know they do do deserve some credit. This is a guy that was a a junior hockey free agent. He wasn't even drafted. And it was the Canucks that, you know, they, they weren't the only team chasing him, but they were the team that sold him the best on what opportunity lay in front of him. And, um, and he, you know, he's an interesting story in terms of personal development. You know, he was only five foot eight when he started grade 12. I talked about this on the weekend. He's only five foot eight when he started grade 12. 
and had a sort of a grew four inches, you know, it was all of a sudden a six footer almost, you know, by I think Christmas of, you know, his grade 12 year. And, um, and then, you know, a couple more inches by the time he was finished high school and all of a sudden. Malcolm Gladwell, where are you? Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, he, this is your quintessential, he's a, he's Chris Tanov. He's a yeah. quintessential late bloomer. He always had the skills. Uh, he said it took him a while to realize all of a sudden he was a big guy as opposed to basically a little guy playing hockey. So he had, you know, he'd always had good skills. He was always a good skater. And then he discovered that he had a power element to his game and, and, uh, worked really hard on that. And, uh, and then he got to the AHL and I, you know, I think there's, you know, there, there is sort of that, there has been a lot of discussion about the player development there. And I think, you know, he's, he is an example of a guy who, who, who is, I think, ready to play at the AHL level. And perhaps that's the story that is worth telling is that he was already ready to go. I mean, he played a regular role right off the bat. He didn't score a lot, but he, you know, there has been progress. And this year he's been a point per game player and a, a dominant top line winger, um, you know, he, he full credit to that. And, you know, I mean, there, there was fair criticism of the signing at the time. He's the kind of, you know, a team that had a poor track record of signing essentially big guys that were big, that didn't have obvious, um, obvious sort of, uh, what's the word, sort of, uh, resume that suggested that this was really worth signing. The Canucks, of course, have a history of guys that haven't panned out, you know, that, that were big and that was it. You know, I think of Mackenzie Stewart or, uh, YP LaPlante, both guys are just big and, were willing to chuck him and couldn't do anything else. And both have crashed. I mean, LaPlante's technically actually on Canucks long-term injured reserve, but both, you know, both have seen their careers fizzle because they can't play hockey. Whereas McEwen can play hockey. And that, that, that has absolutely been a great story. And it was, he, he, he got better as the game went along. Uh, he started out with Horvat's line. He moved down, uh, to a lower line. He moved on to a line with Granlund and, uh, like actually Goldobin by the end of the game, but he got some shifts with Pedersen and, and Horvat here and there because they doubled them up a little bit. Yeah. He, he's a great story and he's a, you know, he, he, he shows all, he certainly, you can, he looks like an NHL hockey player. You know, he's got, he's going to have some adjustment to do. He's, you know, as the games pile up and he loses a bit of that sort of buzz of, holy shit, I'm in the NHL. Um, Saw a great anecdote uh, from uh, his press conference this morning where he was asked, was there a sort of a holy shit moment? And he said, yeah, he's like, I was, uh, I guess Horvat got waved out of a face-off. And so all of a sudden McEwen's like, well, I guess I'm taking the face-off and looks across and it's Joe Thornton. And he goes, well, I guess we're doing this now. (laughs) You know, I mean, it was, he's a very personable kid. He's got a real, real, real sort of charming character to him. Hopefully it doesn't disappear by the, you know, sort of uh, pressures of daily media availability and that sort of thing. And the way teams, teams that want to make guys really boring. Um, Yeah. Great story. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, definitely one, like I said, worth, you know, giving credit to where credit's due that the team found this guy and they've done a good job making him into the NHL player that he apparently is going to be. We would probably need a separate podcast to talk about um, yet another injury to Brandon Sutter. Yeah. Um, and really like, what's the worth in this now for all the, for all the talk we hear about his value, yeah. Yeah. there's the dependability issue there, but so now you look at this team, Patrick, and okay, maybe it is ripe to give youngsters an audition, but the Canucks have been pretty steadfast that they yeah. are happy they're in a playoff race. They're yeah. going to, they, they want to treat it yeah. like a playoff race. And they think that's more valuable than anything else. Do they hang in this playoff race now considering uh, what's it's happening? It's going to be hard. Roster? I mean, it was always going to be hard. They were always up against it. 
you know, we saw some of the results last night. I mean, this is kind of how the race is going, is it? I kind of jokingly said there's, I said to someone the other day, there's kind of two or three turtle derbies going on. There's the turtle derby at the bottom, which is the Ducks and the Kings, who, by the way, the Canucks are playing the next two nights. Uh, they're kind of plodding away for the last spot in the West. Then there's this kind of weird group that the Canucks are kind of sitting at the top of. Uh, which is a group that is chasing essentially the final wild card spot. I think St. Louis is St. Louis has found their game and are roaring and roaring up and they're in the first wild card. And I think they're actually going to pass the stars. And the stars are playing well enough that you know they have enough firepower that they're going to, I think, keep in the playoffs. So now it's a race for that last spot. Minnesota sitting there right there right now. They're two points up on the Canucks at the time of this recording. They've played the same number of games as the Canucks. Sitting behind the Canucks are the Avalanche, who have a, just still stunning to me. Which you know, I mean, by the way, do, do you remember tweets from a particular owner referencing the Colorado Avalanche and the New Jersey Devils? Have Have you checked the standings? Do yeah. you know where the Devils are? They're twenty ninth. And you know yes. where Colorado is? They're below the Canucks. Yes. So anyway, the Colorado have games in hand. I mean, there's Colorado. There's maybe Chicago. There's Edmonton, of course, which are just spinning off the earth. And then there's sort of the Coyotes who I think are in their kind of own little thing. But, yeah, sure, yeah. but you know, I, I, they're going to, they're going to stay in it. But, you know, and Pedersen is playing so well and Horvat's playing so well. And, um, you know, they're getting enough scoring and defensively, you know, they've been not great, but they've kind of at times managed to be okay. So, you know, I think the defensive question for me is the bigger one. We don't know what Edler's status is. He hasn't been, you know, he would, if he'd gone through normal protocol, like he'd been fine right off the bat, he would have been back already. Um, but he's not. And so he's out Sutter's loss. I mean, Sutter as a trade chip was very interesting. Sutter was having a terrible season. Uh, obviously second injury now. So now you really wonder what they're going to do. I, I, like I've said it before, I, they've got Adam Godet back in. Adam, you know, he's played well enough. He's got a lot of work to do. He's a lot of improvement to do, uh, defensively, especially, but you do think they want to get him in the roster next year. So I don't know how they're going to make that happen with the fact that Brandon Sutter still has two more years on his contract. So anyway, it's, it, it, as ever, like I've said before, this team is never boring. That's for sure. And there's been lots to talk about and there will continue to be lots to talk about. And there will, and I wish we could keep talking about it, but we have meetings and deadlines and all sorts of other stuff to to meet. And probably if people are shoveling snow and listening to this podcast, they might have finished their job. Hopefully it's melting. Hopefully. Um, I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank you, Patrick, for your time. We will continue to do these. Watch for our videos. Whitetail Podcast, Vancouver Sun, and The Province. Uh, download us, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, give us a rating. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you soon.